And we've found a way to have a career and make a positive impact that really follows our values. We're also talking about democratic furniture is something that's accessible to everybody. Your positive, positive, positive imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Well, hello. Thank you so much for listening to all of these amazing and exceptional positive imprints. I'm Catherine, your host of the podcast, Your Positive Imprint, the variety show featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people rise to the challenge. Music by the talented Chris Noll. Check out his music and learn so much more about his background. Download his music and also some of his written compositions for piano. Chris composed Elevated Intentions, a perfect title, which I use at the end of the show. And Chris's music may be found at chrisnoll.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Connect with me on LinkedIn. My website is yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can sign up for email updates and learn more about the podcast. You can also go shopping for Your Positive Imprint merchandise on my website. You can listen to the show from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or of course listen from any podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or simply your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to share episodes, download, subscribe, or follow this podcast, and leave positive reviews. Enjoy the show and get inspired to activate your own positive imprint. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? When I think of Denmark, I think about the social atmosphere, the smiles of bikers passing me by, and just a very contented population. Danes just seem laid back, at least the friends I know, but also very involved and concerned with what happens tomorrow, moving into the future. Lars Noah Balduskilde and his husband, David Singh, are concerned about the world's landfill problems, and they stepped up with their positive imprints. They refurbish and resell discarded mid-century Danish furniture, and I am not talking a few pieces here and there, but thousands upon thousands of pieces, and they've influenced so many Danes to help them in their quest to locate unwanted Danish furniture. Taking his name, he formed and opened Lenoba Design. David and Lars Noah are remolding what has become a throwaway society into more of a repair and reuse society where we won't need to purchase brand new products for some things. I'm so excited to have Lars Noah Bajskilde and David Singh on the show to share their exceptional positive imprints. Welcome to podcasting. Ja, Maya Lüklig til Muldid. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank it's you. an honor to be here. <clears throat> oh, tak, tak, mangi tak. Danish, I, I love the language. I speak very little of it, but it comes back every now and again. And so, Lars, David... Thank you so much for being here to share your positive imprints and amazing stories and a, and a wonderful background. And you're already influencing the world. Lars and David's extraordinary journey begins in Denmark with their own fairy tale. 
We all know that fairy tales never really end. Fairy tales do come true. Uh, so we met in Copenhagen in 2010 uh, in the red light district, actually, at the lesbian bar. We had a beer together and started talking. And uh, yeah, I think four months after we moved in together and we've pretty much been together day and night since uh, and still going strong. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the short version of how we met. That is a very short version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I was born in the U.S. and uh, raised in Chicago. But I had moved to Europe uh, on a very corporate career, working in corporate finance and business management uh, for many years. So I started out my career working in France and in Europe, uh, and then had moved on to Denmark and Sweden and the UK working. Uh, so that's why I was in Denmark through my job. So I had been living there for about four years when I had met uh, Lars in a bar. We just kind of hit it off and spent the night talking. And so the next night we went out to uh, a club opening and continued just talking all night long. It became a very quick relationship, I guess, that we were uh, together nonstop uh, for uh, the first few months. And then when we both needed a new place to live, we kind of looked at each other and four months was very quick. <laughs> But um, we decided, since we were spending every minute together, uh, why not? So we moved in together, and uh, we um, I, no issues, and uh, we spent uh, two years living in Denmark together, each doing our, our corporate-type jobs, when I got the opportunity to move to Peru with my company, which wow. I placed a phone call to Lars saying, do you want to make the next move together? The next big move together. And the only response was, can the cat come? <laughs> I, don't know, I have to find that out. And when he found out the cat could come, he was willing to leave his job and uh, come to Peru, where we spent three years living. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. And we were there for three years uh, while I was on contract until we decided to make the move to the U.S. and start this business. I, I love stories like that where it's just love at first sight but it's not just that physical attraction it was that communication you spent the time communicating and talking and getting to know each other it's just so wonderful when you meet somebody and you just know you just know i think for both of us when you talk about when you meet someone and you can talk all night long and it's not this instant attraction it's actually these shared values that you have and that's why you can talk all night long and you could make plans together. And we really do have a, both a sense of adventure in wanting to educate ourselves and explore through different cultures and different experiences. And all the experiences that you come across, good or bad, is part of your education in life. I think within Denmark, it's such a small country, uh, having been there quite a long time. We were just seeking out something different and outside of our comfort zone. I had been talking about it was time for the next step in my career, but more than the next step of my life is I needed something that was a little more challenging in terms of just being different and out of your comfort zone in order to do that. It, it was a big step for a lot of reasons. One, um, to move together to a third country, it was neither of our countries being together, going to um, a developing country where that was a very new experience for both of us to actually living and working in a country like that. 
also being gay where it's not as accepted in Peru. At the time we were not married, same-sex marriage doesn't exist in Peru. So, um, you know, uh, it, it presents its own challenges uh, in terms of going and working and living there. So it wasn't the easiest step that we took. And uh, there were a lot of really great experiences. There were some very difficult experiences, but through that path of three years, it taught us a lot about what we wanted to do and where we were going to go afterwards. And while we weren't sure the exact thing we we're gonna do, we definitely knew what we didn't wanna do. And after our three years, we took out a map and looked around the world of where did we wanna go next? And because we have a lot of these shared values and we went through this shared experience, we just started kind of checking off at least places that we didn't wanna go. One of the things is to be, be on equal footing and have equal rights as partners or spouses. So very important. that was very important with Lars not being able to work for three years, which was the first time since he was a child not working. That was very important to us, but also what kind of liberty and freedoms we want in terms of work and stress and how we wanted to approach our lives. So um, we took out the map and kind of narrowed it down and came up with a, a few solutions, but the best solution that we had that would put us both on equal footing was to come to, to the U.S. Wow. What, this is such insight for me to hear and to hear what you're saying about equal rights and choosing a place where you feel comfortable, but also, wow, the two of you walking that journey together in that communication and those decisions that you're making just really strengthens and bonds the relationship. So I want to go to Peru. How could you feel comfortable and safe at the same time? We didn't really experience any bad things. Uh, the thing is, when you are in Lima, it's a big city and all bigger cities are always more tolerant to other people. Uh, but also we were mainly uh, with other expats and uh, maybe higher level educated people. And there was really no issues there. And people at uh, David's colleagues uh, at work knew that uh, we were together and things and there's never been any, been any issues. But of course, if you go out to like the rural areas like the jungle and and maybe the desert or wherever, maybe that's not where you are gonna flag the rainbow flag and and things. But in general, for us, we didn't experience a lot of problems. I think it's fortunately, that's not the case for a lot of Peruvians who are rejected by their families, who are ostracized, who yeah. are, there, there's a lot of the issues, especially for the young children on average, I believe it's like one uh, homosexual teen is murdered every week in Peru. Um, there's a lot that of issues horrible. within the gay community, the trans community, um, and it is a, a, a struggle. There are a lot of people who had also never probably met someone who was gay before. So it was also very important to just not hide it, I think, and show people that you can be a leader, you can run a company, uh, you're just a normal guy trying to do his job. I think it's really important that you just go and show people that you're living your life and that there's nothing strange. There's nothing odd. There's all different kinds of people, 
uh, and we're all just trying to make it through and do our jobs and live our lives. So I think it was very important also just to be ourselves and show that we can integrate into a community and that there's no issue. If I had a beer right now, I would toast to what you just said. That was so well done. Yes, cheers. Well put, well said, and very eloquently put with your words. Thank you so much for that and for sharing that experience. And I'm glad that you mentioned Be Yourself because those words, Be Yourself, are very inspiring to those who are struggling and they don't have to be gay. They could just be struggling in whatever suit they're wearing. And so Be Yourself are very, very inspirational and important words for the global society. So you took out the map and you chose United States. So here you are. Now, while you were in Peru, being that it's very much a third world country in terms of environmental law, did any of that have any inspiration on your decision to move forward with Lenovo design? I think there's a couple of things that um, really built our decision. When you talk about the environmental, one of the things is Peru is one of the most beautiful countries in the world and has so much depth in terms of you know the rainforest, the, mm-hmm. the ruins, the desert. There's so much in a little country and such wonderful people and such a wonderful history and culture. But one of the things I think that was very disappointing to us was the environmental impact that we were seeing and that there was not a focus on it and knowing that indigenous tribes were at risk. And I think it was always a very sad thing for us to see, especially moving from Denmark, which is very focused. It's a very green country. So for us, just it goes to the basic, the litter in the streets and the rainforest and along the beaches in, in this wonderful, beautiful country. Our feeling was also, it shouldn't just be an economic issue. This is something that people, if they can step up and want to create a better community for themselves to have clean community would be really important. And it's going to save the environment, create better lives and environment for the children and the next generations. It's important that we continue to focus on our values, that we really believe in this. And when you're in Denmark, maybe sometimes you can forget about it because everyone is thinking the same way. Yes. We were living in a privileged uh, society in Denmark concerning that issue. When we moved to Peru, we took everything we had. Uh, So we packed up like a 20 foot ocean freight container and we bought paper napkins, old socks that was really just trash. Uh, We took everything. Uh, So when we moved from Peru, we we started talking about it. It's like, is it really um, uh, environmentally friendly to take all this we have now in Peru and ship to the US once again? because the carbon footprint we would uh, send out would be huge. So uh, so we had a talk and it's like, let's just try and get rid of as much as possible. So if we can have a few suitcases or whatever to be shipped to the US, that would be the perfect goal. The expat community in uh, Lima, they have a Facebook site where you can sell things. Uh, and we started maybe four or five months before we were uh, going to move, put a few things on that Facebook group. And people were 
eager. They were very interested in, in the things we had. It sometimes took like an hour and then we would sold in an old Ikea cabinet or something like that. So that kind of pushed us further and let's just go all in and we put everything up on the Facebook group. So over two, three months, we sold pretty much everything. And so we ended up with, yeah, what, 10 boxes or something. Well, that is simplifying for sure. Absolutely. And, and I like that you talked about the carbon footprint. Many of the world's citizens are trying to find ways to minimize our carbon footprint. Sometimes it gets difficult because we've got legislation or corporate law or whatever it might be that opposes us. This decision, which is a huge decision, what you're doing is incredible. And I have to tell you how I found you. Uh, so we have a Danish furniture store here in town, Tima, and we shop there for our furniture. I love Danish furniture. In fact, my desk, here's my Danish stand-up desk. Anyway, the owner happened to be there that day, and I'd never met the owner, Sorn, but he said that he read an article on Lenovo Design. And he said, wouldn't that be great if you could have them on the show? I said, send me that article. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for responding when I reached out. Uh, so I appreciate that. Yeah, positive imprints are everywhere. And your fellow Dane loved the story. I'm well, very happy to hear that. Oh, it's not just inspiring. It's something that the more you talk about it, this is something that other people around the world can duplicate. So, uh, okay, so let's talk about the big furniture idea. So the way we structured this is when we, we decided to come back to the U.S. and um, what we wanted to do when we came up with the idea of the business, um, we had said, okay, we both have some strengths and uh, we can balance each other out. So where I have... Uh, business management and corporate finance background, I can take on that side. In terms of the furniture, the design aspect, um, the history, um, that was, and the creative side was more on large. So we had a good balance and we could learn from each other. So we could both cover everything eventually, but we had our strengths so that we could, we could really build something strong, we thought, without having to also to bring in investors or make it a lot more complicated. We thought keeping it simple was the idea of the business. We wanted to really bring something authentic. And so we had to really own it and believe in it ourselves. So that was a really important aspect uh, in terms of setting it up and establishing it. Yeah, and I, we got really the idea by going to uh, estate sales in Chicago. So since I was a little kid, my parents always took me to flea markets and estate sales and things. And we... Uh, um, as a family, always enjoyed that. So it's been in my blood since I was born. And, and we went to some estate sales in Chicago and we saw there was a huge demand for, for the Danish pieces that was at these estate sales. And I was thinking, okay, a lot of people are looking for these pieces, but they have a very, very limited uh, amount available uh, to purchase. So, so that's when we started talking about it, it's like, maybe we can do something like bringing some of these old pieces over from Denmark, because, uh, in Denmark, these, are, of course, people like them, but they're not as, uh, 
popular as uh, here in the US. Um, so, so we started doing some research, like, were we going to start the business up in Chicago or where would it make sense to, to start a business like this? So we uh, went on some uh, trips around and just uh, ended up in New York and found there was a, a gap in the market in New York. We knew that we wouldn't go with the high-end pieces, uh, like chairs that would cost $10,000 and things. Uh, because when we talk about Danish modern design, we're also talking about democratic furniture, uh, something that's accessible to everybody, or uh, right. that's at least the philosophy behind it. Um, and in New York, nobody was really covering this uh, part of the market. It was all antique stores with very high-end pieces. Um, so, uh, so we uh, said, okay, I think this is where it makes sense to start up the business. Also because in New York, you have small apartments and small homes and Danish furniture are not big. So they would uh, fit into these apartments perfectly here. So, uh, so yeah, we decided let's just go jump right into it. And then we moved to New York. I went to Denmark to collect the first uh, container of furniture. It took me like three and a half months uh, to collect uh, the first container because we had to start like from scratch. How do we yeah. get all these? This because we didn't want just to call somebody uh, a wholesaler or something. We wanted to go out and meet uh, the people that we were going to buy the pieces from, get their stories, how they bought the pieces, so we could bring that story to the people that would purchase it in the U.S. Um, so, um, I but, think but was... wait, 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 wait. So, okay, something, Lars, that you said you said you're getting stories about the furniture this is going right down to grassroots of <laughs> furniture i mean this is fantastic because people who go into an e antique shop they do want to know the story whose great 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 grandmother sat there and i i think it's very noble of you to want to spend that much time away from your husband in order to get this going and get the stories. So can you share a couple of the stories of pieces and kind of describe the pieces? I just think this would be so cool. So, yeah, I'm going to just do one thing first. So oh, yeah, yeah. One, in, in starting the business was also thinking about one of the things that we enjoy in life is experiences. And so when you're buying something, yes, you need a table. Yes, there's needs we have in, in our lives. But filling a need and getting an experience out of it, I think, makes it even more enjoyable. Uh, a table can be a table and you can like a design or something. But that was part of the thing is we wanted to continue the longevity of the products, but also be able to pass on an experience. And we thought that was a very important thing in terms of creating something that was a little different there out in the market than just buying an old table. And we thought that would really motivate people to switch from just clicking a cart on Amazon or Walmart and rather taking vintage products into their home because they're not just bringing that, they're bringing an experience of the story with them. Oh, I love this. Absolutely love this. So Lars. In my hometown of Felicia, um, I met a, a old guy, I think he was 80 or 82 years old, and I can't even remember how I met him. 
But uh, he said that he had some uh, teak furniture down in his basement. If I could use that, then I could come and have a look at it and we could discuss from there. So I went over to him and we uh, took a tour of his house and he started telling me about his life and things. And, uh, and, and, and he had some very nice pieces of teak furniture and, and we agreed on a price. He thought that the pieces were going to be sold in Denmark. And I tell him, no, it's going to our business or to our shop in New York. And he just got all white in his face. He wanted to spend those money that he uh, earned from selling these pieces on a plane ticket to go to the U.S. Uh, it's always been his big dream to go to the U.S. So it was just like, uh, uh, yeah, uh, financing his plane ticket to, to come to the U.S. And he wanted to go to New York. So when he heard that those pieces of furniture of his were going to get a new home in New York, he was so happy. Oh, for someone who has been dreaming something all your life. Wow. I love that. These two brothers uh, contacted Lars because he was looking for furniture and he had been in the area. So he went out to visit them and they had a few pieces and they were kind of clearing out everything they had. And Lars was asking, okay, but they had a table uh, and they had started talking and uh, he asked, well, why are you selling these things? And they said, well, we have a dream. We want to start a business. And Mark said, well, I'm starting a business. That's why I'm buying this furniture. And they said, well, this is really going to help us out because we have a dream of creating a, a Christmas museum that's open every day of the year. They love Christmas. They're on the Danish news every December with an update on how they're growing their museum. But this was before it had opened. So they were selling off things just to get enough money to keep expanding, to build uh, little houses to hold all their ornaments and things like that. From us buying from them, that was the start of them raising enough money to uh, start their business. And it was the start of our business. So it was a very nice, uh, warm feeling that we could grow two businesses at the same time. And we were both at the infancy stage. We've watched them grow over the past five, six years. And so it's been a very nice way uh, that we could both uh, start something new and fulfill our dreams and continue to be part of it. Yeah. yeah, so fulfilling your dreams, but also continuing to watch theirs. Another one, do you have another one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I went to buy a desk and when we were carrying out the desk from the house, a Bible fell out from, from the desk and it turned out that it was uh, a guy that was the priest of that little village. I asked the daughter, don't you want your dad's old Bibles? No, she had so many of his Bibles because he's been a priest and things. So, so that Bible came with the desk. So when we sold it in the U.S., the desk, it, we, uh, it came with the Bible and that story. Whoever got it, even though they couldn't read Danish, that uh, the Bible would stay with the desk. And there were some coins and things. It was uh, one of his main writing desks. I think he had a few desks. And one of the things also that was on the desk is he was left-handed, I believe. He wrote every Sunday sermon there. There was kind of the mark from where his hand had been writing and the oils, natural oils. So there was a mark there. And even when it was refurbished, you could still see it because after 52 years or something of writing his sermons there, uh, it was there. And it was just the story also about how dedicated he was to writing on this desk and the Bible there that he always referenced when he was writing every sermon. So we thought this all goes together and it goes with the history and that someone will appreciate that and maybe carry it on for the next 50 years. Oh, I would love that desk. Anybody would love that desk just because of the, the past. It is like getting it from a museum. 
Wouldn't you like to know some of his sermons? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just uh. so this is something that's not known that you do. For me, this is an imperative part because we talk about reuse and you're refurbishing, but also you're taking those stories and you're weaving them into your work. And so a person gets the whole package. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it also goes both ways of a lot of people are very excited and they're happier to sell it to Lars in Denmark because it's very exciting that their furniture is going to take a voyage also and live a very different life, uh, whether it be in New York or get shipped to California. Um, and some people follow along and they're amazed that it can be restored because it's just been sitting in their basement for years and years and years. And a lot that, of people ask us to send them pictures when it's refurbished uh, and tell them what kind of home it went into and where, like did it go to Brooklyn or to downtown and things. And, and we do that. Uh, we send those uh, stories back to Denmark and the people are very thrilled about getting that feedback that maybe a coffee table they had in the family for 50 years suddenly have a new life in, in, in a young home in Brooklyn. Uh, so a lot of times people are ecstatic about that we uh, are sending these pieces to the US. It's much more interesting for them than going to another home in Denmark. I think like with the older generation, some of them have not grown up with the ability to travel the world like we have. Mm -hmm. uh, and so for them, it's a way of just exploring and, and sending their furniture out in the world. And it's a, it's a journey for them. And it's very exciting for them to know that it's in Brooklyn or Manhattan. Also, a lot of the pieces that we buy are from the original owners. So they're, they're older. For them, a lot of times you'll hear a very common story that it was a wedding gift, a, a housewarming gift. It was one of their first pieces of furniture that they ever had when they were establishing a house. So for them, it's also a way of extending the longevity and extending the story. It's because it's also going to a lot of our customers, our new families, uh, they bought their first house, they're having their first child, and it's part of their establishing story of their family. So it's getting this second life with a second family that will hopefully live another 50 years and then the grandchildren will inherit it or, or, or such. So I think it's very exciting for them to see that another family, it's helping build their family uh, in the next steps. I really like the way you have structured this because it it is not only green, but it's green with a story. You've already gone places with this and it's exciting. So Lars, are you the one that does most of the refurbishing? Uh, no, uh, in the beginning I was. Uh, we had a loft space in, in Jersey City in downtown. Jersey City and the first container when we uh, we got that in we would have a bed over in the corner and then the rest of the space would just be stacked in with furniture all the way up <laughs> to the ceiling and then one piece at a time we took that out to the kitchen and I had to teach David how to do the refurbishing and, and slowly he started helping in the beginning he was oiling the pieces pretty much yeah. uh, but now he's fully educated and can do pretty much everything with the refurbishing uh, pieces of furniture. Lars is, uh, like he said, he started out very young, going to the flea markets and that with his family. 
but he also learned how to refurbish everything through his father and his brother, who also does uh, something similar. So, you know, Lars, especially the high-end pieces, he's always the one who takes those on. He's the one who has the depth of knowledge of decades of refurbishment. He's been the one who's been able to teach how to treat the products right, because that's another thing. We wanted to focus on something that we knew, and that was Danish furniture. So we do anything mid-century modern. When you know how to do something and you do it well, uh, that I think that's the really important part. So Danish mid-century, it was about knowing how to refurbish those pieces, those materials, and doing it as best as possible. When you start kind of diversifying too much, you kind of lose that expertise. So it was important for us to know physically how to do it, that we know the history behind it and be able to research not only the personal stories, but the manufacturing, the design, and the ability to do that. I think it's a beautiful story of how mid-century modern furniture really came to be. And it's a long and rich story that it just didn't come out of one designer coming up saying we need to build a lot of furniture. There was the story of the war and coming out of that and, and why we needed to build this kind of furniture. So for us, in order to go deep into something, we needed to focus on one thing. And what Lars knew was Danish furniture, the materials, how to refurbish it, and the history of it. So I think that's really what's been helping us grow and be better people, better refurbishers, better at storytelling, and help build a business. Yeah. And it's also important for us that when we have the customers at our place, uh, to tell them about the science and to teach people about Danish design, that it's not just something that's put together, that there's actually uh, uh, an idea behind everything. So we do a lot of things to, uh, to make people feel welcome, to spread some hygge. In the years after World War II, Danish furniture maker's work became known around the world as it was very distinct, yet simple, the period around 1940 through the 1960s was considered the era of Danish modern furniture. Next week, Lars and David explain how they refurbish furniture with the environment and small carbon footprints in mind. More of their positive imprints next week. To learn more about Lars and David's work, you can go to lanobadesign.com. L-A-N-O-B-A-D-E-S-I-G-N dot com. Don't forget to hit that download, subscribe, or follow button now. And please leave positive reviews. Your positive imprint. What's your P.I.?